You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to City Church of Long Beach. I am Bill White. I am one of the co-pastors, and it is just a pleasure to have you guys with us. Um, I know we have a bunch of friends on Zoom. Hello, friends on Zoom. We are glad you're with us here today as well. Um, we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things, and glad to be doing that together with you. So uh, just by way of, uh, you know, housekeeping details, we always have people who are new here at City Church, and we feel like the most important thing that we can tell you is where the bathrooms are. Uh, it just seems really important. So right through that door in the auditorium, take an immediate left. There's some bathrooms. Uh, there's a bathroom right up there off the steps. And there's also a couple of bathrooms over here on the side. That brown door is a bathroom as well. Uh, so if you need those, feel free to go grab them. So um, one of the things we like to do around City Church is we like to pray for our kids because we think kids are awesome. And we also happen to meet at a school, and we think this school is awesome, and the kids here are great also. So I would like to invite up Charmaine Sumner, who's going to pray over our kiddos. If you would welcome Charmaine. Thank you, Charmaine. And it is a little breezy today, so we're going to have a little bit of uh, wind sounds along with our service. So, oh, Let's pray. Uh, dear God, thank you for the kids in our lives. And um, as they go to Kidsmen, may they just learn of your goodness and your love. And as they go through their week, uh, may it just be full of blessings and surprises from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Charmaine. Appreciate you. Um, and if you would like to welcome our other co-pastor, Brenna Rubio! <laughs> you know I love the attention. I know. I know you were kind of, I saw you in the back kind of like. Really build, just gearing up. Yeah, like, build a, like let's go for the big, big that's, rush. It's that's gonna be me. Great. That is Brenda Rubio for you. Um, so we are in a sermon series right now looking at different ways to pray and how there are different seasons of our lives that affect how we pray. Sometimes we're in a season of orientation where we feel like, oh, things make sense. I see God, God makes sense. I can pray to this God who makes sense. Other times we're in seasons of disorientation where you're like, where is God or why is God mean? And then sometimes we move into seasons of reorientation where we hold those two other seasons in tension. And we're like, oh, yeah, I see the good, I see the bad, I see the, the hard, I see the easy. Right, And so we have just spent a couple of weeks talking about orientation, like when connecting with God is really clear. And now we're talking about when connecting with God is not very clear. Um, and it's sort of the, you know, so City Church has a culture as a, as a church. And part of our culture is uh, we, we tend to lean heavy into disorientation, or you could call it uh, deconstruction. That, that's kind of our, that's part of our vibe. I think I might switch. Do you want to try that? I think i switch mics. I think this is kind of interesting. I'm like, we've been outside for like a year, and I think this is our first yeah, it's time never been with like this wind issues. Wind, yeah. So. We're still learning things. That's actually Still learning things. So, um, so we kind of lean heavy into, into disorientation, and 
And there's a gift to that. There can also be some weaknesses to that. And so I just want us to think a little bit today. We're in the book of Psalms, which are um, the book of prayers in the center of, the, of your Bible. And the people who pray the Psalms, pray them really honestly. And they really lay things out. And so today we're talking specifically about the prayer of doubt. Mm. Like, how do you pray in doubt? Mm -hmm. And to do that well. Okay, yeah. because it's important and we all are going to have that experience. Mm -hmm. So for me, I grew up uh, not particularly religious, um, became more religious in high school, sort of became a Christian, I would say, through a parachurch ministry called Young Life. And then in college, really had a lot of things figured out, which was nice. It was nice, you know, it was nice to figure out everything. And it's nice when you know everything in your 20s. Right? Yeah, like, it is. It's pretty great, isn't it? It's really it? reassuring. It is awesome. So, but then, um, then my senior year happened, and I was reading back through some old journals. January 17th, 1990. Yes, that's a little ways in the past, friends. Um, my wife, uh, she was my girlfriend at the time, and she was a resident advisor. And so I was over at her hall on a late, I think it was a Friday night, and I don't know where, apparently they'd come up with some alcohol, which I hear they do sometimes in college. And one of, one of the, the freshmen in, in, on her hall um, had had a lot of alcohol that night. And her name is Megan. And Megan came up to me because she knew I was a Christian. Mm. And there weren't a ton of them at our, at our college. And she was, she was kind of mad at me. Um, there's kind of a lot to be mad at, for, and let's be honest, that I wasn't always the gentlest of souls uh, about my religion. Um, but at this particular point, she said to me, I, I'm sure I brought up God somehow. She said to me, I will never believe in a God who gave my father multiple sclerosis. Mm. And I just, I wrote in my journal afterwards, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I, I can understand. It was, it was like one of the first times I'd ever actively doubted, right? I mean, I'd, I'd only been a Christian five years, but, and I'd feel like I'd kind of sewed it up, which was nice, and all of a sudden it started to, to crack open. This idea of like, yeah, why, why does her dad have MS? Why, why are there bad things in the world? And obviously I had a sort of a sheltered youth and stuff like that. And so I, I just hadn't asked these questions before. But this is what doubt will do. It'll, I mean, in some ways it shattered her faith. It started to rock mine. It is a bit breezy out here, isn't it? I'm, I'm like worried about this. Yeah, that, you know. This is you, what's going to come next. Yeah, it might. Um, <laughs> and yet there's a gift to doubting. Right? There's a gift to the arrogant, classic, privileged, white, cisgender, straight man to start to question a few things. Like maybe that process needs to go on and on and on a lot. Right? There's, there's a gift when your religion that was so neat and closed starts to crack open a bit. There's some fears that come with the doubt too, and, and many of you know this, that we get stuck there. And so how do we parse out the gifts? How do we parse out the stuckness? 
and how do we pray in seasons of doubt? So we've invited our friend Kevin Ridgeway, who's going to read scripture for us. So if you would welcome Kevin as he uh, comes on up. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin is in the, the we, I don't know if you knew this, but we're kind of a fancy church. So we have a dog seating area <laughs> out here. So uh, yeah, glad, glad you could be here with your dog. Uh, and you know, around City Church, sometimes, not always, because we don't always remember, but we stand uh, when we hear scripture. If, on Zoom, if you want to stand on your bed, that's fine. You can do that too. Uh, but it's just a sense of honor. Like, wow, what a gift. We get to hear from God. So, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my troubles and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemies will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice in my fall. Psalm 13, four, or 1 through 4. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Thanks Kevin. So much, Kevin. You know, I wonder how you all were feeling as Kevin was reading those words this morning. If I were going to guess, there was at least a good handful of you going, finally, after spending a couple of weeks with all that God is good stuff, <laughs> let's get back to the hard work. Let's get back to me being able to say, how long, God? Then maybe there's something in those words that, that really resonated with you this morning because you've been you've been asking some of those questions you've been you've been sitting with some doubts you've been living with some tensions or maybe you have a a deep a strong memory of a recent time when you were even if the season right now is pretty good and then I would also guess that there's at least a solid handful of folks this morning who heard that psalm, how long, oh God, and really thought, wait, am I allowed to talk to God that way? Right? Am I really supposed to complain to God? Am I supposed to challenge God, say, I don't like how this is going? Is, is that really what I'm allowed to do? I'm not sure I'm all that comfortable with that. You know, so many of us, uh, if we have religious background, um, for a lot of us, our, our churches have been much more comfortable in the God is good Psalms and in the God is good seasons of life. You know, as Bill was talking about, um, and we're just, just very aware. No, it's okay. Here, I move this. All right, excuse us as we dance. Um, but our churches, we're really good in the seasons of certainty and that we can, we can develop this definition of faith as certainty. Faith is being that 20 year old college kid who has it all figured out and has been sat, sent out into the world with like their ready answers to give to anybody who has doubts about the gospel, right? This, it's almost like militant faith. And that's, that's the definition of goodness, of good faith. But what happens when we end up in these seasons of doubt, how do people encourage us? Do they direct us to Psalm 13 to say, yeah, David cries out to God to that, that way too? Or do they say, just believe, 
Just put your faith in God. Do we get the sense that our questions and our struggles aren't actually acceptable? There's a, a quote that I, I just love from a writer named Anne Lamott. Some of you might know her work, and, and some of you have heard me share this quote before, so I apologize. Uh, but it's just so good. What Anne says is this, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Because certainty, it misses the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, and the discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. And I've always loved this quote. I've loved it for years because it gave me words to fight back against this, this sort of militant certainty of faith. Saying, no, I, I think it's okay. I think God, God makes room for us to notice what's going wrong to call it out, to live in the reality of our struggles. And, and I needed that pushback, that space, to sometimes just be hurting, to be confused. But this morning as I was reading it, I was, I was thinking, preparing a little bit, I think in, in my current season, one of the things that I also feel like I wanna sort of add to that quote where I feel God expanding me, growing me, is also this deep awareness that when we're in the dark, when we're in these places of darkness, confusion, uncertainty, it's not just that we're waiting for the light to come back, but there's actually beauty in the dark. And do we let ourselves notice that? The beauty that actually happens in these sort of in-between and uncertain seasons. You know, there's, I think, all sorts of reasons we want to really engage and lean into this idea. Partly, you know, because I, I think for many of us, we've, we've become more and more sensitive um, in ways that some of our friends have always been sensitive to the ways that we, we have this binary of good and bad with the light and the darkness that actually doesn't help us in our efforts to be post-racist. It actually doesn't help us uh, in our efforts to challenge white supremacy and all the ways that that has infiltrated our ways of thinking and our culture, right? That to have the darkness be the place of danger, the darkness be the place of loss, the darkness be the place uh, of evil, an association with the good as the white, evil, black, right? Are you guys with me? We are all kind of aware of that, that dynamic and the metaphors that we use. So that's a real reason to lean in there. But even beyond that, to say like, <laughs> when, when we kind of say, okay, so if I were to challenge that, if I were to lean in, I would actually discover that, yeah, the darkness and the uncertainty, these places of transition and transformation of metamorphosis, there actually is beauty there and we're, we're actually very aware of it. So let's just, let's take a few of those examples. Um, the seed lying underground, the season of waiting where on the surface we don't see anything happening, still just a patch of dirt, but underneath in the darkness of the soil, real transformation, real growth, it's actually happening, right? 
the field left fallow for a season. Nothing's growing there, and yet real chemistry is happening, real restoration in the soil, so that we leave it fallow for a year, knowing that, you know, in the next year to come, man, beauty is going to come. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be abundance. But we have to embrace the season of rest, where the transformation is happening that we can't even see on the surface. Sleep, nighttime, that darkness, the chaos we experience sometimes in our dream, in our inner world, and, and yet during that time, that's actually when so much is going on within, within us. Restoration and the coming together of our memories and just all sorts of internal processes of renewal, right? In the chaos of the darkness and of our dreams. Caterpillars and metamorphosis to butterflies actually becoming goo at one step in the process. Do we embrace that as beauty, a beauty to be found in the darkness? Even I was thinking, maybe as I was thinking of the very linear way, even this process of certainty to doubt to mystery is sometimes communicated. And you can just see that right there. I really put it in this. Am I here? Yeah. Um, I lost room on the board and yet it looks very linear and I actually find my process often looks a little bit more like this. It's not particularly linear. And so I was thinking about those of us that have bodies that cycle monthly, that gestate new life and the rhythms and the seasons that we experience. It's not linear. <laughs> and beauty happens in the dark. We can't always be in seasons of certainty and production. We just can't. And life happens in the in-between. Beauty happens in the in-between. And we see that spiritually. If we're given eyes to see, if we're given freedom to explore it. We see it in so many of the disciples following Jesus. The example of Peter, of Paul. Let's take Peter. Peter just starts, man, he is just a, what I sometimes call a bro theologian, right? Like he just, he knows all the answers. He is that 20-year-old kid with all the answers. And he wants to give them to Jesus. Tell Jesus what he needs to do. What his calling is. Where he's going to go. What he's going to do next. Don't say that, Jesus. He knows it all. And then he screws up. And he screws up royally. And he doesn't have any of the right answers. Not any of them. And it's actually the best thing that ever could have happened to him. Because it leads him to this, this new place. A gentleness of spirit. An ability to embrace mystery. The mystery of God. Saying later on in scripture in 1 Peter. Though you have not seen him. God. Jesus. You love him. It's just, it tenderizes his soul. He needed that doubt. That time in the darkness. So in so many ways I feel like being back here is this is where I need to be too. Maybe I was struggling just a little bit on the Psalms of Orientation this last few weeks myself because I just find myself currently more in a season of disorientation. 
some areas of my life that, you know, to be honest, I'm like, oh, we can, if you want to take me out for a cup of coffee or I'll take you out for one, we can talk more about the specifics. It's not really a, you know, let's get up here in front of a bunch of people and talk about it, you know, sort of situation because I'm right in it. Um, but just sharing, honestly, I'm, I'm just more in that season of disorientation. I have a lot of questions. And I have days where my questions are just exhausting me. Like I'm just tired and I'm sad and I'm confused. And then on some of my better days, my better moments where I have a little bit more energy, a little more clarity, a little more hope, there is this sense of, I know there's beauty in the darkness. I know it's good that God is at work in this process within me that, that I'm getting tenderized. I'm being given new questions to ask. God is leading me deeper in to mystery and it's a good thing. I don't wanna rush there and I wanna believe that God holds me in the times where I'm just tired and sad. But I do also resonate with verse five in the Psalm. It's the next one. We didn't, we didn't read to begin, but it says, I trust in your unfailing love. God, I get to tell you all the ways, man, I don't get it. I'm sad and I'm tired. And I get to trust you in the midst of that as well. I can hold the both and. So good. Thanks, Brenna. Yeah. So there's a sense, right? There, there are these gifts. There's this tenderizing of the heart mm -hmm. that um, the doubt gives us. It's a gift. Breaking down of the certainties. It's a gift. Sometimes we get stuck there. And it's helpful to, to think about this for a minute. What happens when we get stuck in our doubt? And I, I want us to, to be gentle as we talk about this because some of us have, have been led into seasons of severe doubt and disorientation mm -hmm. because there's been trauma in our lives, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I've talked to people here who have been kicked out of their families or their churches, right? For, for their beliefs or for their sexual orientation or whatever, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's reality. And that will send you, like, do not pass go, go straight into disorientation, right? Like straight into, like, what is true anyway? And you get to take all the time you need to on that journey, right? And healing, particularly healing from trauma is, is tricky. Uh, I keep a long list of therapists in my phone, not just for myself, but for others. So feel free to access that if you would like. But it's this journey that it, I, I like your, I like your drawing. It's like, woo, you know, all right, on for the ride. Here we go. And at the same time, there's a sense in which some of us almost willingly choose to stay stuck. 
some of us sometimes we find that our our doubt can turn into cynicism and that cynicism then protects us mm. from getting hurt again right it happens in relationships all the time right we get we get hurt and so we just shut down and i mean we were really critical and sarcastic and we don't want to risk mm -hmm. another friendship or romantic relationship or whatever because it hurt too bad and then sometimes we just get stuck in the cynicism and man when you're when you're stuck in the cynicism you can take down anyone right the cynic always wins they always turn up a false motive and you know those religious people and well that church and and that belief system the cynic always wins. And so then you can start feeling smart and smarter than others. And that's nice. It's always nice to feel smarter than others. It's a kind of comfort, a strange comfort that we find in our doubt. And sometimes we like to play with other people and try to make them doubt, right? One of the things that you see in this psalm is, I, I think there's a lot of permission for those who have real pain and trauma to go on their long journey, their wandering journey. There's also a really challenging kind of this confrontational word to those of us who get stuck and allow our stuckness almost to become an apathy. Like, ah, oh, just sleep in. Not, not just like on church, but like on life, on relationships. Mm. I'm just not going to risk it. But this psalm doesn't let us do that. Right? I mean, listen to, I mean, so it, start, it starts off, how long, oh Lord? How long will you forget me? I mean, that's, that's pain. That's anguish, that's doubt, and it's coming out. It's not, it's no longer protective. Mm. Not sitting back just on the couch, surfing through Netflix. No, it's full on in God's face, right? It's painful. You're reliving the trauma. You're reliving the, like, why aren't you here? Why are other people, they get it all easy. I don't. And finally, the, the psalmist kind of turns. He says, look on me and answer me, O Lord, my God. It's demanding. It's costly. Healthy doubt is costly. Because you have to take it to God. You have to confront God with your real problems. And not just sit back and let life pass you by. It calls for deep emotional and spiritual work. So I just want to speak to us. I mean, this is, you know, a lot of us here have spent plenty of time in the deconstruction zone, in this disorientation. I want to invite us all to get more honest, to name it. What are you upset about with God? What are you deconstructing? Tell God what you doubt and what you dislike. And don't just sit back and let it numb you. Do the hard work. 
of praying in this season. Yeah. 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 It is hard work. It is hard work to actually show up to your pain, to show up to your feelings. Um, as Bill was talking, I was thinking, yeah, you know, I, I've actually done, you know, a fair amount of <laughs> therapy because uh, when, well, make sh long story short, I flunked a few personality tests along the way. <laughs> I was not very present to my emotions, a little bit depressed, repressed, a bunch of other interesting words thrown my direction um, early on in my young adulthood. And, um, and so having sort of come through that, being given some tools, coming to a more healthy spot, like I was just remembering a season in my life where, uh, you know, I'd, I'd had a difficult situation, you know, a job ending very abruptly that really kind of reoriented so much about my life. And, and really just like leaning into this therapeutic, like, I have to grieve and I'm just like oh, this almost sort of like I mean just like I just felt like it was my work to like dive into the grieving process and do all the journaling and cry all the cries and and it's almost like I, I mean I'm almost laughing remembering but it just felt so important because I just I just wanted to make sure I did it well um, and sometimes that just comes and other times man we do it's almost like a discipline right? Like, how would I do that? How would I even get started? And so I just want to expand on what Bill just shared. It's like, well, I think this, this psalm gives us one really concrete strategy. I count five question marks in my translation. This is a psalm full of questions and then a demanding of answers. I just wonder, are we staying present to our questions. What questions do you have? And what if we really actually leaned in, pursued them, actually valued them? Maybe we have to be a little patient. Some questions are really naughty. They're tangled. The answers actually don't come. Naughty or naughty? Oh, sorry, naughty. K-N-O, as I said it, I was like, am I being confusing? Yes, thank you, K-N-O-T-T-Y, not naughty. K-N-O-T-T-Y, tangled, interwoven. Take a bit to, no, thank you, it was good clarification. I had like a shadow going like, I think there might be something confusing there. Um, what if we actually valued our questions? In a Habakkuk, is one of the prophets where, you know, they, there's so much challenge that happens in, in the books of prophecy in the Old Testament. Habakkuk is asking a question of God. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife. Conflict abounds. He names it. He doesn't back away from what he's seeing, calling it out, and naming the disturbance that it, it brings up inside of him. I think, uh, as well as an example, this is one of my favorite, and it's a super challenging little story in the Gospels, uh, the story of the Syrophoenician woman. 
in Mark 7, this woman who, who comes to God asking for healing, not for herself, but comes to Jesus asking for healing, not for herself, but for her daughter. And the way Jesus responds to her, she feels excluded. She feels like he is acting out some exclusionary practices, some racial tensions and ethnic tensions. And she actually speaks back to Jesus. She names it. And she says, no, I think I, I deserve something from the table too. And whole big question beyond, you know, this, what I can get into here. And again, we get to ask the questions. Like, why does Jesus actually respond that way in the first place? Oh, such a good question. We could talk about that for hours. But this reality that Jesus responds by saying, yes, thank you for naming it. I respect the pushback. Yeah, you absolutely deserve a seat at the table. You and your daughter. Like, what if God is not afraid of our questions? And more than that, what if those questions are the ones that, they, they don't just get our own souls unstuck, but they help un, unstuck our, our whole communities, right? Because these are the questions that challenge the power structures. Like this woman's question to Jesus, that we get to look at it even now and say, this woman from the margins talked back to God and he said, go girl. This didn't just affect her. This is for all of us. This is for a whole community. And we see it in so many ways. The, the powers that be don't want us to ask questions. Life is simpler when we just take the paradigm that's given us. When we accept the propaganda. I mean, think about all the propaganda at work in our politics today in our own country. We think about the conflict between Russia and the Ukraine. There's a simple way of communicating it. When we complicate it, when we name the questions, that's doing the work of justice. It's doing the work of inclusion. It's leaning in to the heart of God. I'm gonna try this one again here. Here we go, okay. thanks. The wind has uh, calmed down a bit. Yeah. Um, so I, th I, I just want us to close and think about doubt and praying in seasons of doubt, the, the gift of humility. Maybe not. <laughs> the gift of humility that doubt gives us, the invitation to mystery, right? To ask good and even better and harder questions to let it stir up our passion. Really, will you doubt well? I think is, is what we want to ask you. Will you doubt well? We, we need you to. Our world needs you to. Your families need you to. Uh, your church needs you to doubt well. So you're invited to do so.